Welcome to the Jax Cloud. I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we are an online church. Join us on the Discord in the link in the the, 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 the thing down the there. The description. Yeah, that's the one. Description. You know, I've been looking for that word since we started this. Like all of the Jackson Cloud in August. Every time I say down there, because I'm like, what is that? And I'm the one who posts everything on YouTube. You'd think I would know. Have you not <laughs> watched any other the videos? I all, yeah, but I usually think synopsis or the box no, lower it's, down. It's called the description, the description box. Well, the description box is where you can leave a comment, but you can also... No, no that's the comment section, Jamin. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the internet so hard? It's okay, Jamin. Leave a old. comment below. In hit the, the comment section. Show more button on the description to get the Discord link, or go to jacksoncloud.com for all of this and more. Uh, we're going on a series. <laughs> Unless you're listening right now on the podcast, in which case none of this makes sense, and leave a rating in the stars below. Okay. Hopefully, hi. Uh, and if not high, don't leave a rating. Okay, so <laughs> what are we talking about? Genesis. Genesis is what we're talking about. Um, today we're going to talk about God making woman. Him. Which is in the Bible. You know, you don't both have to look at me every time you say the word woman. Just because I'm the only one in the room. You remember back in the day when like youth group jokes were like always the same and it's like, and then God made woman or God made female and said, what should I name? And Adam was like, whoa, man. It's like, okay. Yeah, I remember those jokes. Nope. And all youth pastors were talking about their smoking hot wives. Nope. Your youth pastors didn't do that, seriously? No, my, nope. my youth pastor talked about his wonderfully kind wife. Because nope. respect. Smoking hot. No, nope. it's like one youth pastor did it, and another youth pastor was like, I need to do that. And then all youth pastors started doing that. See, here's the thing. My youth pastor was my dad, so there's so that too. He probably it's my did, but Casey blacked it out, is what he's saying. <laughs> well, anyways, you shouldn't do that. But that was what they all did back then. Okay. Um, uh, Christian side hugs, that was her youth group thing. No, that was my. Youth camp thing. Youth camp thing. It was thing. camp appropriate side mm. hug. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Let's uh, hop into this passage. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Okay, it goes on from there. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taking, taken out of man. Okay, I want to talk about this passage because I feel like it's been used a lot to demean women in our culture into a subservient kind of status. This idea that like God made man, he's taking care of the garden, and then uh, he just needs a, a helper. So I'm going to go get a helper and, and give him a helper to keep doing the job. 
Uh, and I feel like that's often, and maybe you can speak to this more as to if it's happened in your life, maybe you're fortunate in the sense that it hasn't, I don't know, um, where like you feel like you're treated as lesser or subser subservient or like supposed to, I feel like a lot of people phrase this passage as like, God put Adam in the garden to take care of the garden and then gave him a helper to bring him lemonade while he did it or something like that. Has it ever been like given an impression of that sort within the church in your life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say that for most women, that is probably kind of a, a common answer. Um, do you want to say anything more or is this a... The amount of people who use this verse as an excuse to say, go make me a sandwich. I could actually just kind of um, put poison in that sandwich. I've heard that too many times. Have you? Oh my gosh. Okay, well, so you can see already, <laughs> as Olivia is saying, that this is actually treated that way. So uh, Eve is called in Hebrew here an ezer, a helper. You know who else is called an ezer in the Bible? Take a guess, take a stab. I don't know that word, so I don't know where else Ezra, it's used. helper. Someone else in the Bible is a helper. Is it Jesus? Maybe, but that would be New Testament Greek. I'm looking for Old Testament Hebrew. But that's close enough. God. God is an Ezra. <laughs> so let's just pause for a minute. Is God a helper to humanity in such a way that he is subservient to us. No. Why do you say that? <laughs> because why on earth would anyone say God is subservient? Right, okay. Is God a Nezer in such a way that like, humanity's got this all covered and like he just needs to like step in and bring them a sandwich or some lemonade? No, humanity does not have this all covered. Right. Also though, if God did bring me lemonade, that would probably taste fantastic. It would be very good lemonade. We are sure of this, yes. But like, let's pause right there and recognize like this word is used elsewhere, not as a subservient role, but as the way that we think of it in English, a, a helper. That does not mean like lesser. That does not mean subservient. That does not even mean different tasks. Adam was put in the garden to do what? Tend the garden? Tend the garden, keep the garden. He couldn't do it alone, so he was given what? A helper. A helper, an Ezra, someone else who would do what? Tend, Tend the, garden. the garden. Tend the garden, right? So like the egalitarian view right from the get-go of the Bible is that man and woman have the same mission. They're here for the same purpose. Man was not good enough to do this alone and life would have not been the way God would want it for man or for humanity in general if it was just man tending the garden. Instead, it is better and good-er. <laughs> Tober, <laughs> Tobe from our last episode. It is good for humanity to have male and female working together, right? God takes a rib out of man and then uses it to create woman. If man wants his rib back, he can get married to the woman, right? Because the Bible goes on to say like, and so now man will leave his parents' house to be united with woman. So like 
take your rib out, put it over here. You want it back, go marry her, right? <laughs> okay, you go marry a woman. And now you guys work doing the mission that God has called both of you to do. Man who could not do it alone. And so someone who is given to him not to help him. Like, oh, you're just working so hard out there. Here's a sandwich, right? No, like I'm working the garden, you're working the garden. And the Bible uh, starts us there with this egalitarian view of man and woman working together on the same mission for God. It's a beautiful picture. But the Bible then like quickly gets diminished as far as like relationships go. Like we very quickly proceed into polygamy, right? Which we know at least today. <laughs> like it's this, bad. It's bad, right? And it creates lots of bad scenarios. The Bible knows it's bad too. A lot of people think like, this is just the way that they live. But like, if you're paying attention and reading between the lines, you see like when they're, when they're doing stuff like this, they're always experiencing brokenness. They're always having difficulty. Like things are not going well for them because it's not up to the Garden of Eden standards. When Jesus comes around and people are like, so we got polygamy going on. We've got all different kinds of sexual behaviors going on. Uh, they asked Jesus at that time about divorce. And Jesus is like, well, you can't get divorced. <laughs> and they're like, many of their schools at the time taught like you could divorce someone if they burnt your sandwich. Like that's like how sexist they were. And I know that's not good given what we've just talked about. But it's, I, analogy you've made now, Jamie. Well, so in a commentary I read, that was an actual example that they used. Is like they made you your sandwich wrong, you could divorce them. Like some of their schools of thought were Did they that. even actually have sandwiches back then? Okay, so maybe bread, the commentary they was they using... They might have put fish between bread. Maybe the commentary was using its own analogy. I don't know. But like... Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why are sandwiches on your mind, Jamie? She did. She started this. So uh, anyways, when Jesus comes into the picture and they're like, what about divorce? And they already have in their minds all different kinds of familial and sexual kind of relationships and divorces widespread and easy in their society, even mm -hmm. for Jewish people. Uh, and the Jews asked Jesus, well, what do you think about divorce? And he's like, can't get divorced. Like if you divorce someone, then when they go and marry someone else like you know like that's they're just you're just you're cheating on your wife god still views you as married to your prior spouse uh the reason jesus gets to that is his answer is how was it like in the beginning in the garden of eden in other words how did god set up reality <laughs> any any other kind of like sexual or familial relationship outside of the Garden of Eden, and Jesus' standpoint is not the way that God pictured it. And so when he does that, he frames like the entire Old Testament with polygamy and, and sex slaves, uh, people like Hagar, who like Abraham and Sarah can't have a baby, and so they abuse uh, Sarah's servant. Well, you can have a baby with her, because by our standards of the day, when she has a baby, that's my baby, because she's my slave and I own her, more or less. Like. The Bible phrases things like that as like, Abraham and Sarah messed up, you know? So like, when you look at all these stories, I'm not even on the topic I meant to be on now. Uh, <laughs> when you look at all those stories, you see that like, God creates this egalitarian view of man and woman and marriage as a good thing. 
And the reason we moved into all, everything else I just said was to say how quickly it got messed up. And when Jesus comes around in the New Testament, when they're like, what should all of this stuff be like? He points back to the egalitarian view of man and woman together forever, except he leaves a space unless there's been infidelity. Uh, that was the only thing he gave space for, like a divorce. And even that, he seemed to leave the space like, maybe they can still figure it out, though, if they work really hard. Uh, and there are couples who have pulled that off to this day. Um, so with all that being said, when we look even closer at Jesus' life, we see that he was intentional about creating this egalitarianness. Like, a lot of times people just focus on, like, he's walking around with 12 disciples. But if you're paying close attention, like, women show up more than you would expect. I, I was just reading through the Gospel of Luke the other day. There's one passage that's just like, and many women followed him, and they all funded his, his ministry, <laughs> or something along those lines. It's like, why have I not caught that before? Like, <laughs> first off, women are, like, doing ministry with him, going alongside him, you know? Uh, we have stories of of Mary and Martha. How do you guys usually hear that story phrased? Uh, which Mary, so Mary and Martha is the one where Martha's like serving everybody and taking care of the kitchen and Mary's like with the disciples listening to Jesus and and Martha's like would you would you tell her to come join me and Jesus is like she's chosen the better portion. So <laughs> the way that I <laughs> The way that I feel like I hear this passage usually phrased is like, well, you know, Martha, Jesus told her like she could take a break, but then eventually she's going to have to like get back in the kitchen and like make a sandwich or something, you know, like. Wait, is that actually the way people phrase that? I don't verse? know. I don't know. But I feel like there's always this like delineation of like Martha was in the kitchen, therefore like that still comes up in a lot of like but jesus literally just said that choosing right. ministry instead of the kitchen is the better choice even for women yeah yeah and that's like so mary's like sitting at jesus's feet learning like a male disciple like women tended to be uneducated back then because they weren't like given those kind of social roles and yet here's uh mary doing something that like culturally like this was the man's thing and Martha's doing something that culturally this is the woman's thing you know she's serving them and, and she's freaking out like can you get Mary back here to serve with me and Jesus's response is like she's doing the right thing <laughs> in other words you should get your butt in here and sit down and listen too like you know like don't get back in the kitchen don't like just keep like serving us like sit here and listen this is the right thing to do and Jesus, like, breaks the cultural standards of the time. He goes up to the woman at the well. You're not just supposed to go just, like, talk to women at that time, like, one-on-one -on -one or whatever. Yet Jesus does that, and the disciples come up, and they're appalled for a few reasons. One, she's a uh, uh, not foolish, full, full Jewish blood, and so, like, they're like, why are you associating yourself with her? But, like, she's, she's also a woman, and he's just, like, breaking the cultural standard rules and and prophesying over her and and she goes and gets the whole community to come out and see him uh and then and then then <laughs> after jesus dies and is resurrected where are the men hiding out hiding behind locked doors which jesus just walks through a wall to talk to them and where are the women 
visiting his grave. At his grave site. And who finds out first in every single gospel that Jesus, the greatest news of all time, that Jesus has been resurrected, the greatest news. Who finds out in every single gospel? And keep in mind, keep in mind, you would not entrust this kind of news to women at the time. Not because they're untrustworthy, but culturally in their time, like you wouldn't trust a woman. Okay, you wouldn't trust a human being, first off, coming up to you saying, oh, he's still alive. I know we put his body in there and we all saw him die and bleed out on a cross, but he's actually still alive. <laughs> you wouldn't believe anybody who said that. And in their culture especially, you would not have believed a woman because in their minds, like, they're making up stories anyways. That's not what I think. It's not what we think. But in their culture, that was like, that was the way they thought. Anyways, back to my question. Who <laughs> does Jesus entrust the greatest news of all time to in every single gospel? Mary and Martha? Well, Mary to women, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, you know, like, it's to women every time. Every one of the gospels. Keep in mind, their culture would not accept this. In all four of the Gospels, to get, even the, the one that never matches the other three, <laughs> even John, <laughs> all four of them are like, yeah, it was news given to women first, and then the men found out where they were hiding out elsewhere, you know? Do you think Jesus did that by accident? <laughs> no. Do you think the Gospel writers wanted to leave that point <laughs> in the end of their Gospel? Including the ones who were second to find out and now are writing the story down? No. Like, Jesus clearly, like, through, he may not have, like, always been speaking it from the pulpit, but look at his life story. Like, everything he does, he's, he's elevating women to the position that God has always intended them to be. He's subverting culture, and he's doing it right in front of people. And when we read these stories, we should be catching this. Obviously, uh, a lot of the difficulty that people have with uh, um, trying to subject women to men, a lot of that comes from Paul's writing. It's because there are a few passages that are very difficult <laughs> to interpret. But, like, for me, the importance is, just as I, I don't just zoom in on one thing Jesus said and, like, just keep my mind there, I have to read it all, right? Then I do the same thing with Paul. So, like, if Jesus, if I just zoomed in on a passage of hell, I'm going to think that Jesus is graceless, that he doesn't, like, care, that he's just coming back for vengeance. And, like, that's the only passage I read. That's just what Jesus is when it comes to treating people. I, I just focus on the hell passages, right? Whereas if I read all of Jesus, I get the cross. I get grace. I get love. I get the prodigal son. I get all of this. I'm widening my view to soak in Jesus as a person. With Paul, you have to do the same thing with women in ministry. When you do that, you notice that though Paul sometimes says things like women should not teach or I don't give authority to women to teach or things like that, you also see that he, uh, he talks about, um, or the Bible talks about women prophesying. Okay, we've talked about the APES scale before. We have a whole episode on that, right? When it comes to the callings of, of the Bible, there's A, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd and teacher teachers at the bottom paul says i don't allow women to teach but then uh we have women doing evangelism 
We have women doing prophecy. Uh, we have, in Revelation, there's at least like one woman who gets called out for like, she's not leading a church well in some way. And we don't fully know that she's pastoring or whatever, but she seems to be in leadership over a church in, in, in some way. And God's calling her to repent. So you see her involved in ministry in some way. And we have, interestingly enough, someone in the Bible, an apostle, or at least at the very least married to an apostle, but seems to be written as an apostle. Her name is Junia. And this is just how far men have gone, is to say that Junia was a man's name, which in Greek it is not. <laughs> or to like try to just find every conceivable way to write off Junia as like not like a defendable case for, for women in ministry. But we have women in ministry in every single way. If you read the, remember, Paul writes letters. At the end of Paul's letters, he says, hey, say hi to this person, this person, this person, this person. You know how many of those people are women? <laughs> like these are people he's doing ministry with. He's like, hey, say hi to her for me. Let her know about this and blah, blah, blah. You know, like she's, he's going through the list of women he's worked with. There's, there's a married couple uh, that he writes to sometime. And sometimes he puts the woman's name before the man's name. Almost as though like she's do been doing more work in ministry with him than he has. Because uh, you would think that culturally at the time, he probably would be mentioning the man first each time. So anyways, when we take Paul in as a person, like across the scriptures, yeah, we do have a few very confusing passages. When we look at the wider scope, we realize like we need to contextualize these weirder ones to match everything else. When we do that, I would say like an easy way to do with like women aren't supposed to teach. What do we already say about like women of that culture? They weren't that educated themselves because society didn't leave much space for them to be educated. Should you put someone who's not educated in a teaching role? No, you should educate them first. Right. And so if Paul's like, you know, women are uneducated in our culture and therefore shouldn't be teachers because what would they teach? <laughs> you know, uh, they don't know the scriptures well enough because we haven't educated them. Like that would make sense as to why he says, I don't permit a woman to teach. Does it have to go that route? No, but there's several other suggestions. And that would make sense of his time, seeing as how we see women in the highest categories of, of ministry, but for some reason, we think they're not allowed in the lowest categories of ministry. <laughs> like I, I just don't fully understand that. So this is me look, looking at the wider Bible picture. Um, but again, that egalitarian view of calling men and women to shape and sift and shift the world on God's behalf into heaven as he would have it look, that's not just I appointed men to this and women are their subservient slaves to help them get the job done or take care of them while they take care of the real work. Women were designed to do that work alongside men. And the whole Bible, I think keeps pointing us towards that uh, and our culture should be able to hear that even more clearly if we're opening our ears to it. All right, if you have any questions, please check us out on the Discord. Also, we'd love to see you subscribe. And uh, yeah, if you have any comments, you can leave them here as well. See if you can beat me to be the first one to put a comment because usually I'm the first one. And uh, we'll see you next time.